0: It's always uh, an honor to be here with you on a Sunday morning. <clears throat> I want you to I want you to channel some things this morning as I share. Uh, I'm going to be doing um, there's there's a couple of different ways that I approach this time when we're together. Um, And and sometimes maybe the difference is maybe you you wouldn't necessarily be aware of that I'm taking a different approach, but I want to be very explicit this morning in the way that I'm coming to what I want to arrive at in our time this morning. Uh, What I'm going to be sharing this morning, um, it's one of those principles that uh, I think is in the category of, for for some of us, uh, things that we've heard things that we agree with, and things that we're still not doing. You guys know what I mean by those things in our lives, in our walk with the Lord, right? I've heard it a bunch of times. I'm actually on board with it. When I hear it again, I will agree with it. And also, I'm still not doing it. Uh, I don't—there's there's there's reasons. Um, I'm still not there. And so this morning, what I want to actually do is help you engage with something that, that for some of you is something you already know, you already agree with, you're not doing. But I, I want to help uh, actually deal with your with your motivation towards that thing. So what I mean by that is this is going to be maybe less informative and more... You gotta go. Like you gotta take a step. You gotta. You gotta move. Um, and the way that I want to do that is I want to actually bring you into uh, a certain uh, place emotionally. And part of the reason I'm telling you this up front is I'm not intending to manipulate you emotionally. But sometimes, if we can, uh, through empathy, enter into a particular experience. Uh, we realize in a new way, sort of, the gravity of our involvement, right? Um, you know the difference when you're like, when if you're married and you and your spouse, um, you're kind of at odds with each other and you know trying to figure it out, and then you get a sense in a new way of your spouse's perspective and pain that you've been a part of, and. And you feel your heart soften towards that, and you feel yourself more motivated to be a source of grace, right? Because you've experienced it differently. You see it differently and more clearly. So you're ready to be manipulated? (laughs) Have you ever felt helpless? Anyone? I think probably the most helpless that I feel, if there's anything that's been reoccurring in my life over the last many years, it is the helplessness of being in public with a baby. When Selah was born, we were living in Chicago, and I would ride the 147 Express uh, Ocean Drive bus from our apartment down to the inner city, or not inner city, but the city. And I would meet Jenny, and Jenny would take Sayla, She would head back home, and I would head to school. I was in the final semester of my undergrad. And about every two or three weeks, Selah would decide that she hated bus rides, and to express her displeasure, she would scream from the time that I got on the bus until the time I got off of the bus. I experienced that helplessness in the form of, like, a heat sensation right around this area <clears throat> with nothing you can do. Jenny and I took our, our twins when they were one uh, overseas. And I also took a kid that uh, I was friends with at the time, uh, Colin Andrews. Some of you might remember him. He was like 15 at the time. And um, we, we uh, had some time of ministry in the Philippines, and we were on our way home. Uh, from the time that we woke the two one-year-old twins up in the morning till the time that we got on the plane was about four hours. And then we had a four-hour flight to Tokyo, uh, during which time they did not sleep at all. Uh, then we had a three-hour layover in Tokyo, during which time they did not sleep at all. And um, and then we had a 13-hour flight, but on the 13-hour flight, we had requested bulkhead seats. Um, we were on either side of an aisle. Uh, we had requested the bulkhead seats because they have bassinets that go into the bulkhead, and you can put an infant, a lap infant, into the bassinet. What no one told us, cruelly, is that every time the pilot goes ding, ding, fasten your seatbelts, you're required by federal law to remove that baby from the bassinet. So we did this for about... Uh, 11 and a half hours of a 13-hour flight, our one-year-old twins—sorry, guys— uh, were losing their souls. They were just—and I don't mean crying. I mean screaming— because they were so exhausted. And every time that we we had not in preparation trained them to sleep on our laps, they were used to sleeping like this. So we'd lay them back in, the thing would go off, we'd put them back in, they would begin to drift, and it would go ding, ding, ding. And then the, the flight attendant would come by and say, I'm really sorry, but you're gonna need to take them out again. And I would curse at her with my eyes, and I would take the baby out, and the baby would begin to scream again. And finally, after 11 and a half hours, they they both fell asleep. Now during that time, Jenny and I had not taken any of the food on the plane because we we were a disaster. Babies fell asleep, flight attendant came by and said, do you guys want food? I said, yes, we want food and as much coffee as you can fit on this tray. So she did. She brought food. She brought two cups of coffee, set them down, so I'm holding one one-year-old, Jenny's on the other side of the aisle holding one one-year-old, and we have a 15-year-old that does not belong to us but is with us uh, in the next seat. And just as I had, un- I had put the cream in my coffee and opened up the food, I looked over, and the 15-year-old was slumped over, eyes open, uh, no longer the color of a human being. And I said to Jenny, what's happening? He was having a seizure. No, this isn't a sad story. I'm the victim of this story, okay? (laughs) (laughs) She shook him, and he was unresponsive. At which point, I yelled for help. At which point, my raging one-year-olds were reawakened, mine kicked the tray, and my brand new cup of hot coffee went into my lap. So my, 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 this area is on fire, (laughs) both twins are screaming, food is flying. This 15-year-old that I borrowed is dying, by all counts, and I look over and there is a middle-aged Japanese man sitting next to me, this is a true story, in the fetal position with his coat over his head like this. (laughs) It's a very helpless feeling, (laughs) I can tell you. Oh, gosh. Holland was fine. (laughs) Oh, this has happened before. That would have been good to know before we (laughs) took you along. The first experience that I want you to be able to access is the experience of helplessness against powerful forces. This is actually one of the primary themes of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. When the, when the book says, meaningless, uh, this, the sense is, is that you can do all of these things, but there are, there are forces, there, there is power greater than your ability to do anything about, to steer or correct or control. You, you, you might push very hard in one direction, and these powers may push back and overrule you. And so there's this sense in, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes that, uh, that the author is sort of unpacking, and then that is the sense of being helpless against things that are out of my control. There's a number of them, uh, 115, what is crooked cannot be straightened, oh, I think I left this one out, oh no, there it is. What is lacking cannot be counted, there are things in life that cannot be made right. Ecclesiastes 1.18, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. You can accumulate wisdom for yourself towards the goal of a happy life and discover that there is grief that is increased. 2.11, I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. and Behold, it was all futility and striving after the wind. He says, I set my, my, my hands and my mind to pleasure. And after, in fact, he says this, he says, I, I did not say no to myself. I had unlimited resources. I did not say no to myself. And at the end of getting for myself over many years, anything and everything that I would want, I was just as empty. My emptiness was something that I was powerless against. I was helpless against it. for there is no lasting remembrance of the wise along with the fool, since in the coming days everything will soon be forgotten, and how the wise and the fool alike die. You're helpless against the march of time and your own death. 3.16, furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. Where good is required, evil resides, and I can't do anything about it. For one, then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun, and behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and that they had no one to comfort them, and power was on the side of their oppressors, but they had no one to comfort them. 8.14, there is futility which is done on the earth, that is, there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and on the other hand, there are evil people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this, too, is futility. This person lived a good life, suffered a horrible outcome. This person lived a horrible life and suffered a pleasant outcome. 9-11, 9-11, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to the skillful, for time and chance overtake them all. You get that sense of helplessness that the, uh, the, the, the writer is attempting to bring you into, like you can live your life um, uh, to the best of your ability according to all of the, the rules uh, to be a good person, to be a, a good influence. And yet, there are so many things out of your control. There are so many, there are so many potential sources of harm and heartache that you have absolutely no power to prevent. Do you feel that? Yeah? I want you to hold on to that. The second feeling... Is the experienceness or the experience of helplessness against another person's immaturity? Have you ever suffered under the leadership or authority of someone who was a child inhabiting an adult's body? If you're sitting next to them, don't make eye contact right now. <laughs> Ecclesiastes ten one dead flies turn a perfumer's oil rancid. And so a little foolishness is more potent than wisdom and honor. You can have all of these things going on in your life, and this one person, because of their own immaturity, because of their own foolishness, is just wreaking havoc. And you're helpless against it. Isaiah 3 Verse 4 and 5, I will make mere boys their leaders, and mischievous children will rule over them, and the people will be oppressed, each one by another, each one by his neighbor. The youth will assault the elder, and the contemptible person will assault the one honored. God is, is, is prophetically predicting a future time for Israel because of their abandonment of wisdom, that there will be the immature in power. Maturity and immaturity I would define as the difference between being self-serving and self-sacrificing. John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that a person lay down his life for his friend. Maturity is self-sacrificing, motivated by love for others. Immaturity, self-serving, motivated by love for self. And I'm guessing that in one way, shape, or form, pretty much everyone here has, at one point in time, been under some authority figure or some leadership figure um, that, that was profoundly immature. And you wrestled with that. Uh, you were maybe in some way victimized by that, by their self-centeredness, their blindness to the needs and concerns of others, and that's a rough thing. That's a helpless thing. Number 3 The experience of helplessness against another's laziness. Have you ever been victimized by someone else's laziness? Proverbs 26:13 A lazy one says there's a lion in the road, a lion is in the public square. Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the lazy one is like a hedge of thorns. The path of the upright is a highway. I think this is what he's speaking to in in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18 and 19. He says, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will have control over all of the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely, and this too is futility. I can work my tail off for a lifetime, and then what? I hand it over to who knows. Merriam-Webster's defines laziness this way, disinclined to activity or exertion despite having ability. That's a good one, disinclined to activity or exertion despite having ability. Here's some good examples of laziness. The TV remote was two feet out of reach, so I downloaded the remote app instead. (laughs) I shot Nerf darts at my light switch while in bed, missed all of them, and slept with the lights on. (laughs) I downloaded a movie instead of going upstairs to grab the DVD. My personal favorite, and this is from my own life, is texting my wife from downstairs because she's upstairs and then being frustrated because I hear her notification go off in our room. Dang it. Jenny, you got to carry your phone when you're in the house. (laughs) I'll define laziness this way, unwillingness to do what could and should be done while explaining and defending that unwillingness. Okay, so I want you to hold these three things, right? Uh, The sense of, like, helplessness against forces that are greater than me, a sense of being victimized by another person's self-centeredness, right? All they care about is them, and also by their laziness. They could do something, they could help, they should help, but they have no interest in helping or lifting a hand. You tracking with that? I know, it's getting heavy. Stay with me. So now that you have that sense, I'm going to read you our passage, and this is going to be our our key passage. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 16 through 18, woe to you. Woe to you, land whose king is a boy, and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, land whose king is of nobility, whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Why? Because through extreme laziness, the rafters sag, and through idleness, the house leaks. Let me define a couple terms here, and then I want to unpack this. The first one is, woe to you. Woe is deep or unconsolable grief or misery. Woe to you. The land here is the people of the kingdom, right? The people who inhabit this kingdom. The king is the one in authority over the land, over the people. Why are those people, why does the writer say, woe to you? Woe to you whose king is a boy. That is, one who feasts in the morning. You understand what he's saying? The difference here is that out of, out of self-serving immaturity, this, this leader is consuming resources unnecessarily. It's about him. He doesn't care about the inhabitants of the land. He is, he is taking and consuming for his own pleasure, for his own purpose.
1: And the writer says...
0: What is the outcome of that? I'll tell you what the outcome is, is that over time, the rafters sag and the house begins to leak. When you live under a self-serving child leader, you will face deep grief, inconsolable misery. Why? Because through neglect. Through the immature laziness of your leader, the land will suffer, the kingdom will deteriorate, threats will increase, and you, the people of the land, will be helpless in the face of it. That's tough, right? I'm going to turn a pretty hard corner. You ready? Hold on. Now that you have a sense of this wisdom principle from Ecclesiastes 10, I want to bring application to our lives more directly. I want to be equally firm on this and gentle with this. Let's apply this wisdom to the domain that is under our control. I want to take this principle and I want to apply it to men and their families. And I want to talk to you briefly about tending to your spiritual household. Hold on to that experience, helplessness, immaturity, and laziness. Let me reread this verse. Woe to you, the home whose leader is a boy, who feasts in the morning. Blessed are you. home led by nobility who eats at the appropriate time for strength, not for drunkenness, not for excess. Why? Because through extreme laziness, the rafters sag, and through idleness, the house leaks. The writer of Ecclesiastes, remember, is talking to the inhabitants, not the leader. The writer is addressing the members of this household who are faced with a terrible sense of helplessness in the face of inaction on the part of their spiritual leaders. God has called men. to take authority over the spiritual climate of their own homes, to be the spiritual leader. And the ones most in need of that leadership will be the ones most victimized by that lack of leadership. And for you men with children in the home, you will not be happy upon discovering, over time, what you have allowed to decay and deteriorate through your neglect. I want to be real careful here, because I recognize that we're an Alaskan church, We're Alaskan people, we are not prone to laziness. In fact, I think Alaska was rated as the hardest working state in the union recently by someone. But you can be lazy, limited to one critical area of your life, while being very productive in other areas to disguise that laziness What is laziness? An unwillingness to do what I know could be done, what I know should be done, while explaining and defending that unwillingness. I know that God has called me to be a spiritual leader. I'm deeply challenged to understand what that looks like and what that means. And for many of you, it was not modeled to you, so you have very little to work off of. I know that I could, I know that I should, and what I will do instead is explain my inability. Why? There's a lion in the street. The proverb. The writer of the Proverbs doesn't say that there wasn't a lion. In fact, he doesn't even say that the lion didn't pose a threat. He said, there is a kind of person who will see that challenge rise to that challenge and overcome that challenge. And there's another kind of person that will see that challenge and explain their inability, their unwillingness to overcome that challenge. I don't think that there's any role that I've occupied in life that is more uh, challenging and mysterious to me than the role of being the spiritual leader of my own home. I can stand up here and do much more easily what I find very difficult to find consistency and, and movement in, in the context of my own house. So I want to deal with three lions in the street, three reasons that we give for not assuming the role of spiritual authority and leadership in our own home, and allowing the rafters to begin to sag, allowing the home to begin to leak. There are, there are powerful winds buffeting the home. Three lines in the street that we point to, that I've pointed to, and, and, and I'm guessing, I'm not guessing, I know uh, that you've pointed to, some of you. The first one is, I'm too busy with my work. I know. I know. You got a lot going on. (sighs) Woe to the one whose leader drinks in the morning. That is, that, that accumulates to excess with no mindfulness to, to what's enough? Where does this end? There's an immaturity about that. Jesus says, Mark eight thirty six what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And I would say the same to, 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 to fathers, to, to heads of household, to the spiritual leaders of the home, I would say, to what, what does it benefit your household to provide them materially everything that they need without also tending to the only part of them that will, that will exist for eternity, their souls? The second lion in the street, my wife, not mine, yours, (laughs) is an extremely common theme, and I've heard it many times. I've said it, and I've heard it, that I feel particularly insecure about my spiritual leadership under the scrutinizing eyes of my wife. She seems to be more intuitive about these matters. She seems to be more relationally connected to the kids. I feel kind of like a buffoon. I stumble a little bit, then I get mad because they won't shut up and listen to the wisdom that I'm trying to offer to them. It goes poorly, and so I just don't, I I can't, I don't know what to do. I know she keeps telling me that I need to do more, and I'm not doing enough, and she's concerned, and, and honestly, it's just too much pressure. And to that I would say, well, you've figured out how to do a lot of other things that she still hates. Right? I I was willing to put my marriage on the line for sport fishing at one time in my life. (laughs) And Jenny's concern or criticism did not slow me down. (laughs) I was all in. It's a lion in the street. I'm not saying that that's not a legitimate complication and that it's not a source of feeling that that sense of, like, insecurity and insufficiency. Yeah, there's a lion right there in the street. What are you going to do? But I think both of those... are actually secondary to a more fundamental line in the street, and that is that I'm not personally connected to or growing in my relationship with Jesus. I I don't get very far before I realize that I'm drawing from a shallow well. Woe to you, members of a household whose leader is a boy who tends to his own needs, and through extreme laziness, the house is crumbling. The house is leaking. The rafters are sagging. don't in any way want to talk in, in in any manner that seems to like overly simplify the challenges that you face. Some of you, let's just be real honest, some of you sitting right now can feel the tension with the one that you're sitting next to. And you, f- you feel that sense of failure rise up, that embarrassment heat in the back of your neck. It's a tough thing. One of the toughest things you'll ever do. If you want the easy road, just go to work. And make a bunch of money. I don't want to to be condescending in any way or patronizing. It's a profound challenge. But let's not pretend that there are not victims of your unwillingness to rise to that challenge. Woe to you. It's a very helpless thing. When the spiritual leader of my home could exercise spiritual leadership. Should exercise spiritual leadership but will not and instead explains and defends their unwillingness. What can I do? I don't think there's any area of my life where I feel like I'm more more frequently stumble and have to get back up on my feet over and over than when it comes to spiritual leadership in my own home. I wanna do something together. Um, I don't know how to, I don't know how to smoothly move from failure to success, without some kind of acknowledgement, you know, you know, what I'm talking about. Like, I haven't been doing some things. I know that, I know that it would be a blessing to my family. I know that God intends to bless my home through my own spiritual vitality. I know that, that Jesus intends for my household to reap the blessing of the spiritual nutrients and nurture coming from the overflow of my own walk with Jesus. I know that to be true, but I also recognize there's some things that I've not put into place, I've not done consistently. I don't know how to go from there to, like, to, to tackling lions in the street without some like moment of recognition and just owning it, you know? <clears throat> Dan, you want to join me? I'm going to invite, um, oops. If you're here this morning, um, I'm going to, go ahead and come on up. I'm going to, uh, invite you, um, well, let me be, sorry, let me be clear. If you're here this morning, and, um, you feel like, um, I, I am unhappy with my, the, the, the leadership that I currently have, the spiritual leadership over my home. I'm not happy. I would just ask that you would stand. I'm not going to ask you, it's not a trick. I'm not going to then make you do jumping jacks. If you're a man who says, I need prayer, I want to grow, I see my own insufficiency, my own insecurities, but I wanna go after it, I would ask that you would just stand right now. Now, if you are a man who is past the age of having children in your home, and you look around at the young men and you say, whew, yeah, that's a big assignment, but I want to pray for you. Would you stand in support? I'm with the younger group. So I've asked Dan, one of our elders, to come. And just lead us in a time of prayer.
2: First of all, a little bit of context. Um, I know I'm not going to get any sympathy from this, but a few weeks ago I took my wife on our second honeymoon. And we were in Hawaii. And the first or second day my wife acknowledged that she had a horrible day. Can you imagine that? She was being tormented, her mind and her soul was being just bombarded with these horrible thoughts. And she said, Will you pray for our apartment that we're renting? And I said, Yes. So I, I took some anointing oil, which re- represents the Holy Spirit, and I anointed the doorpost. I commanded whatever evil was in the air to leave. I, I just pled the blood of Jesus in that space because we rented that place. That was ours. And the next day, things calmed down. Whatever was there was gone. But what I did didn't come automatically. I'm going to take you back a few years when I was your younger age, raising children. And I was spiritually immature and I didn't even know it. So I heard a message similar to what you heard today and I realized I'm not doing my role the best I could. In fact, because I wasn't, my wife would step up and she would be the, the leader of the home and she would, she would do what I was supposed to be doing. And it was good, but it wasn't the best. I was as nervous as some of you are right now because I didn't know what to do I didn't know how to do it I needed to be taught, I had to step into it so I want to promise you a few things you're going to be nervous you're going to need some help but I also want to promise you there's going to be benefits that so outweigh the deficiencies you will be stepping into your destiny your God-given role in your home and what I like for you to if you guys are feeling that nervousness of the unknown I want you to raise your hand Take a a small step of faith right now with me and raise your hand if you are nervous about this, okay? But what I want you to do right now is I want you to put your nervousness in your hand and I wanna pray for you that you would, that God sees that, you're offering it to him, okay? So I'm to pray for you right now. Jesus, you see these men that are willing and able to move into their destiny, their God-given role of their home, but they're nervous, they're not sure what step to take, but you will give them wisdom in the next step to take. I offer this nervousness to you. I don't want it. I don't know what to do with it. I offer it to you right now, God. And in return, I ask Jesus, you give me the courage, the faith, the wisdom that you give me my God-given place in my home. In Jesus' name. And there's one more promise I want to tell you is that your family will feel the difference. From my wife's own mouth, she said, I feel safer, and she will be. Thank you for your courage.
0: Stay standing for one second. I just want to give you a piece of direction. Deuteronomy 11:19-20. You shall also teach these commands to your sons, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Translated, you should be all in. Just all in. Just go for it. I want to give you four practical ways forward. Number one, leading lead by modeling pursuit of God, you've got to be going after it and all of the challenges of that just going after it. Second, lead by initiating spiritual conversations in your home. Number three, lead by initiating prayer in the study of God's word. I know of course your wife prays more pretty than you ever will lead in prayer, bring prayer to the home and to the family. And number four, lead your family into spiritual community. Multiply your resources. Philippians four nineteen, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. We're going to worship, enjoy responding to the Lord. Uh, make sure that you take a moment to hear from him. We'll have prayer teams over here. If you want additional prayer for any need, uh, they'll be there. You can take communion, which again is just the reminder. It's all Christ, Christ in me, his body, his blood, his life for me. Uh, You can give during this time. Ladies, let's stand. The rest of you, let's stand. Let's worship together.
1: Thanks. Remember I had a conversation with a mentor of mine many years ago and um, we, it was right when Sarah and I were just getting married, and we were—I was reading through, you know, all the passages on marriage and family. And I remember talking to my mentor, and I said, I, "This honestly feels like a tall order. I feel like I just—I'm totally outside of my ability. I don't even—I'm honestly just overwhelmed." Uh, and um, something he said that that I still think about often was, uh, you know, he's, he said, "Yeah, for many years I tried to do just the the minimal amount, and I was way past my capacity all the time." Then I had a day that I realized this was the command of God, and I said yes to him, and it wasn't, it actually was me committing to even more, and yet uh, hidden within the command that's way past anything we could do, there's also uh, a promise. It's a promise of provision to have his supernatural uh, empowerment to obey him and to love our families and to lead them, and so it's not just that you feel that you can't do it, you can't do it and we need the Lord. And so the invitation this morning, thank you so much, Aaron, for uh, uh, the call and for uh, being gracious. Uh, I know for myself, we've been having conversations about this as well, um, that he has called us to more. So now's the time to to act. Um, I would encourage you um, to be um, thoughtful about your next steps, to be sensitive to what it is that Jesus is inviting you to today as action, to not let the moment pass us. Today is a moment, it's an invitation for you to say yes to the thing that you know has been kind of itching back there for months or maybe years, so take that opportunity. Um, on that note, um, tonight we have Men's Chapel. Um, I'm looking forward, to it. I'm gonna be sharing, Robbie Switzer's gonna be sharing, Silas and Adam are gonna be leading worship, so it's gonna be a great time. That's tonight at 6.30 at the office. Um, if you are here and you don't know where your next meal is coming from, uh, come talk to any of us uh, on staff. Um, we'd love to help you out. Um, if you do want to get prayer um, as the service ends, the worship or the prayer team will just hang out for a few minutes um, after the service. And we don't officially end at 1230. So if you guys want to take some time, help with Tear Down around here, hang out. Uh, they'll be Tear Down there and in the hallway as well. Um, bless you guys as you go into your week. God bless. Thanks.